Deuteronomy, you need to turn to chapter 20, please. Chapter 20. And it starts off in verse 1. Deuteronomy, chapter 20, and verse 1. It says, when you go out to battle against your enemies. That's how it starts off. So way back in the beginnings of establishing the nation of Israel, God was telling them, you're going to have some enemies. And that's not unusual. Always God's people have enemies. The nation of Israel has been fighting battles ever since it began, still fighting them. But back then, of course, there were a number of nations that were wanting to oppose uh, Israel, and they came up at various times. Israel didn't help themselves at times because they made allegiances and alliances they shouldn't have made, and all sorts of things were going on. But the message here was, you're going to have some fights on your hand. Back then, of course, they were literal fights. They weren't the only things that Israel had to contend with because sometimes they, as we mentioned yesterday, they, they got involved with marrying people from other countries and uh, other philosophies and religions and ideas and concepts and gods and goddesses. And so they compromised the word. So that, they had some fights on their hand in terms of uh, that sort of structure as well. But a large number of their fights were literal armies. People coming against them with spears and swords and daggers and shields and chariots and horses and so on. Uh, literal fights. Now, they're put in there in the Bible, not just because it's historical, it's interesting to us and what happened to the nation of Israel, but rather we could also see some of the principles that apply to us. We're not going to go out, although through the ages some people have got into fights, but our, our, our situation today is more principalities and powers in high places. The situations we're dealing with are not necessarily putting on uh, the, the natural armour, but the spiritual armour. Not take a natural sword, but the sword of the spirit. So we've got some fights on our hands, uh, and persecution, uh, the way the government operates at times, the way other people treat us, maybe our own healing needs, uh, relationships, all sorts of things take place in our life. And uh, we have uh, things to contend with. We have opposition. And there's quite often some serious persecution that might take place. You might have experienced it in your family or at work or at school or elsewhere there are always going to be people who oppose the word of God and God's principles. In many cases, it was very obviously so. And sometimes today, it's more subtle. And we need to be just as warned and just as careful and just as mindful of that as well. So here in Deuteronomy 20, the Lord is saying, well, when you've got some enemies attacking you one way or another, when you've got situations to deal with and contend with, then here are some principles to follow. Let's read on. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and you see horses and chariots or whatever it is that we see, whatever situation we're confronted with, whatever circumstance, whether it be people or events or life in general or whatever, and there's lots of things. The Bible speaks of trials and tribulations and temptations and people saying things and undermining us and wanting to drag us away and wanting to get us involved in things we shouldn't be involved in and so on. The world does that. The world has invented evolution so that we get further and further away from God and God's principles. The world has become grossly immoral, as we spoke about yesterday briefly. And it's all in opposition to God and God's ways and God's principles. When you see all of that, not as your horses and chariots, literally, of course, but what they represent. And the people more than thou, when the odds seem to be against you, when it seems a bit overwhelming, maybe you're wondering how we're going to get through all of this. Then it says, be not afraid. There's the first principle. Now, it may be easier said than done, but that's what we've got to aim for, isn't it? Not to be afraid. And why? What's, what's the encouragement? 
It's like Ian saying there, well, you know, how do you prove God? Well, I'm not going to get involved in something I can't prove. It doesn't make any sense. And the Lord's not asking us to be not afraid if there's no justification for being not afraid. And so he goes on to say, don't be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with you. And how do we know the Lord God is with you? Well, back then, we read on, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. They were to reflect on their beginnings. How were their beginnings? Ten plagues in Egypt, for starters. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of manna, and so, all these sort of things that the Lord provided for, signs, wonders, and miracles. He identified himself very clearly. And he's telling his people here, when you're confronted with something, hey, stop for a moment. Don't just consider what you're confronted with. Consider who you are and that I'm with you and what I've done for you. And the same thing applies to us, of course. And we've got something we can always fall back on. Every time we speak in tongues, it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit came upon us at some point in time. Last week, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. It makes no difference. We can reflect on the experience we had back then when we were filled with the Holy Spirit and we spoke in tongues. We were delivered from Egypt. Not literally and not geographically, of course, but it represents the world scene. We might have been delivered from alcohol or bad temper or throwing our clubs across the green or whatever or, or, or our attitude towards people, anger and so on, and smoking and swearing and all sorts of things we were delivered from. Gambling, perhaps, it was in my case. Maybe all sorts of other things that we uh, were set free from. And so we, we can remember what the Lord has done for us. We can reflect on the deliverance that the Lord gave us from Egypt, how he brought us out, and he's heading us towards the promised land now, the, the glory that the Lord has in store for us. So when something comes against us, these principles apply. Don't be fearful of it, because it's not only God is with us, God is in us through the Holy Spirit now. He doesn't just tag along. He's within us. And, uh, and he's got uh, a situation here where he reminds us, well, you reflect on what I've done for you already and why, therefore, you should be apprehensive about what's to come or what you are now facing in your life. Verse 2, And it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. So here's some principles. If you're approaching a battle, Maybe you haven't got a battle yet. As I well we say, just hang around for a little while. There's bound to be something happen there. We think it's not strange, this fiery trial. There's things that happen to us, one way or another. You live in a world with people and things and circumstances and situations and relationships or lack of relationships and children and parents and in-laws and all the stuff, neighbours. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in this world. And there's, on top of that, we've got coronavirus to contend with. That's probably a, a minor thing compared to some other things that people are dying of at this moment maybe because of coronavirus, because we're shut down the hospitals, for example, now. So there's all sorts of other things we've, we've brought upon ourselves one way or another. So there's some principles here that the Lord wants to outline for us. How are we going to react? What is our attitude as we go into the battle? What is our approach as we continue on in the Lord? Now, the Lord uses army terms for us. And we're not carrying around rifles as they do over in protesting in America and so on. We've got the armor of the Lord. But the Bible uses onward good soldiers and fight the good fight and war the good warfare and so on. Put on the full armour of God, the Bible says in Ephesians 6. So the army terminology is there, but not the actual application because we're, we're now dealing with the spirit. And so these are spiritual truths as well as natural truths. Verse 3, 
And so the, high, the priest there, we got a high priest now who's giving us the word of God. So these are the instructions from our high priest, Jesus Christ. And she'll say unto them, Hear ye, O Israel, ye approach this day into battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. Don't faint. That's the first thing. Now, the, the word faint in the Hebrew means to weaken, to grow weary, to relax, to become despondent, to be discouraged or disheartened. The message of the Bible is whatever you've got going for you in your life, one thing you mustn't do is become faint-hearted. You mustn't relax. You mustn't grow weary of the things that are, are going to stand you in good stead. Let not your hearts be faint. So the talk today is, it's not for the faint-hearted. Our walk in the Lord is not for the faint-hearted. Can't be, because the Lord has told us we're going to be facing battles. It might be just be the battle of our own mind. It might be the battle of the unsaved wife or unsaved husband or unsaved children or unsaved friends or even some saved people do some strange things at times. Verse 4, for the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So the Lord says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to fight for you, and I'm going to deliver you. If only we could believe that. If only we'd live in that belief, in that confidence, in that trust. If only we had a mind and a heart set that said, well, I'm not going to faint, come what may, because God is with me, God is going to fight for me, and God is going to deliver me. That's his word, and if we could believe his word, then we're more than conquerors. Verse 5, and the officers now shall say, speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house, and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And what man is that hath planted a vineyard, and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there hath betrothed a wife, and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Now, I'm not convinced that the Lord was very concerned about your house or your vineyard, or particularly getting married as such. What he was concerned about, they weren't being led off, oh, well, okay, you've got a house, you better go home, and the house is too, too important for you, and they've got a vineyard, well, you better go and have a look at that, by all means. Remember what Jesus said when they were invited to the great feast? There were some people who said, oh, I, I can't come to this feast, because I've got some ground, I've got to go and see it. See, it's still there. They thought the ground was going to be washed away or something or get up and walk away. Oh, I can't come because uh, I've got five yoke of oxen. I've got to go and prove them. I've got to go and test whether they're still walking or not. And the other one said, oh, I've got a wife. Well, I can't. That's it. It's no, no questions after that. I've got a wife. That's the end of it. So they're very similar to what Jesus said here. They, they cover three aspects of our life. I don't think the Lord was concerned particularly about these things. You're allowed to have houses. You're allowed to have vineyards. And you're certainly allowed to have a wife. It's a good thing, the Bible says. So we're allowed to do this. But the problem was, if you're going to go into a fight, a battle, and all you're thinking about is your house, oh, I've got to go back and pray for it and dedicate it, and, and I didn't give any thanksgiving for it, and someone else is going to be walking in there and stomping on my carpet. And that's all we're thinking about. If we're thinking about renovations, restorations, if we're thinking about all the things that go with houses, our possessions, and what, what we're going to do and in the garden and all that sort of stuff. We're going to be distracted. You're no good to an army if you're thinking about something else. You can't afford to be thinking and being distracted. And the Bible's not saying we can't have a house and you can't have a garden and you can't do all that sort of stuff. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's talking about priorities. 
We're of no use to anybody if we are distracted, if we've got divided attentions, because we'll put ourselves at risk in our walk in the Lord and we'll put other people at risk as well in our attitude. So the first part is, is possessions, whether it be houses or grounds or whether it be the things that we own or wealth or whatever. Maybe it might invoke be our possessions in life and so on. The second thing is a vineyard. That's our livelihood. Jobs. How many jobs have taken people away from the Lord? How many overtime? How many decisions we've made about, oh, well, I've got to be busy doing this on a Sunday now. I, I, I've taken on a second job. Well, after all, I've got to pay for this. And I've got this and that uh, to attend to and so on. So it's, it's about our life and our livelihood and our, and our lifestyle. And then, of course, a wife is about relationships, not just a wife, but children can interfere. Parents can interfere. People, even the assembly can interfere and uh, let you down a bit and dis- you get a bit grumpy and miserable about it and you decide you're out of sorts. So th- the Lord is saying here, if you are preoccupied with these sorts of things, with life in general, then you need to be going. We need to release you because you're not going to be any good to yourself. You're not going to be setting a good standard. You're not going to be helping anybody else around you either. You're not going to be a good testimony. And it's better you get yourself together. Your attitude is right. Your approach is right. Your priorities are right. And uh, it says in Second Timothy, I'll read from another translation, As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, do not let yourself become tied or entangled up in worldly affairs, for then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. We're all going to be involved in worldly affairs. You can't help that. But don't be entangled with them. Don't be so caught up with them that your mind and heart is taken away. If you're out on the battlefront, if you've got an enemy to contend with, and we're always contending with the enemy, always in our walk in the Lord, there's always opposition. The devil, not worrying about him coming up in a, in a costume and a pitchfork, but the devil is, is a roaring lion and, and, and all sorts of things will come against God's people. Down through the years, I've been involved for 51 years now in the Lord. I'd say thousands of people I've seen come and go. Sad. Tragic, actually. Why did they come and go? Houses got them. Vineyards got them. Wives got them. And all they represent. All those things. How many people have left the Lord because of of relationships? Either they were seeking for them or the one they had didn't work and they're all disgruntled and unhappy and so on. It's very sad. How many people have got caught up in trying to establish a lifestyle? How many people have got caught up with their work? How many people have got caught up with houses and buildings and possessions? The Bible speaks of them often and warns us about them, of course. And the story of Mary and Martha is a great one, isn't it? where the Lord comes into the lounge room and, and, and Martha is caught up, entangled. She's in the kitchen. Oh, there's nothing wrong with being in the kitchen. You've probably spent a lot more time in the kitchen over the last uh, few weeks. Maybe it's a bit of a problem. You have to get out of the kitchen later on, do, get on the, the bike track or the running track or something and see if you can do something about all that stuff you've accumulated over the last six weeks. But she was in the kitchen at the wrong time. She was in the kitchen when Jesus Christ was in the lounge room. And she was encumbered about, the Bible says. She was entangled with the preparation of scones and jam and ice cream or whatever. Ice cream? Cream. Uh, and, uh, and maybe hot chocolate or whatever she was doing. And there was, there was uh, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking it all up, getting her priorities right, hearing the things that the Lord had to say to her. And, uh, and, uh, and Martha was crooked on her sister. 
She came into the lounge room, angry. What are you doing there, Martha? Jesus, tell Mary, what are you doing there? Tell Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary to come out here and help me in the kitchen. That's what happens. We get caught up. It's no good for the battle if you're thinking about scones. And Jesus said, no, no, Mary has chosen the better part, the good part. Don't take that away from her. And so the message is very clear here about what we're supposed to do. The Lord wants us to be totally involved in his ways. Verse 8. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? It's not for the faint-hearted. Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. So if we're miserable and we're always complaining about things and we're looking like we're a bit down in the dumps and uh, we talk about our operations and our uh, situations that have happened to us, what the next door neighbours are, and we're always sort of um, down uh, as far as things are concerned, that's no good for anybody. If we're, if we're not joyful, if we're not rejoicing in the things of the Lord, if we're not up for the battle, if we're not ready for the fight, the Bible's telling us here, well, you better go home. You know what? I can remember I had a house meeting way back in Footscray days a long time ago, and there was a, a man that came along, and, he, and we used to sit sort of around a circular as we sang the choruses, and he would sit there with a really miserable look on his face. And I just went up to him in the chorus session, just quietly, and said, I'll call him Fred. Fred, if you can't be happy here with us singing choruses, go home. When he didn't go home, he started to sing. He started to get more joyful. I don't know what was on his mind, but he's made us all look miserable. And we just, that's the message here. If the person alongside you is fighting the battle, that's hallelujah. If he's charging there full steam ahead, like Beersheba on those horses, if they're, if they're charging ahead altogether, hallelujah, it inspires everybody. But if someone's holding back and saying, ah, I don't want to do this, I don't want to build on that, I don't want to go there, I'm not happy with this, and we're miserable and lamenting our circumstances and troubled by the, the things that have happened to us or whatever, and it passes on to others, it'll make us all miserable. And that's what the Bible's telling us here. Don't be faint-hearted. Don't grow weary about the things of the Lord because uh, we need to be dedicated to his ways fully, of course. It's not mind over matter we're talking about here. It's spirit over flesh. We've got to walk in the spirit to conquer the flesh. You've got to be spiritually minded, not just stoic, not just natural determination. Lots of people do that, and they get through lots of circumstances in the world. Lots of people have amazing sort of situations in their life where they've just got their own natural ability to, to be strong or something or other. We're not talking about being strong in our own strength. I'm not talking about a stiff upper lip here. I'm talking about the spirit. So, you've got to, so the message here is if you're going to go into battle, you'll need to build yourself in the spirit. You'll have to extricate yourself from a lot of stuff that we're doing and devote more time to building yourself up so you're not faint-hearted, so you're strong in the spirit. You'll need to pray in the spirit. You'll need to engage in the, in the meetings, in the fellowship, in, in talking to other people, in reading your Bibles, in, in, in just stirring yourself up, thinking about the Lord. When you wake up, the first thing in your mind ought to be the Lord. When you go to bed, the last thing in your mind ought to be the Lord. And throughout the day, oh, we've got other things to attend to. We can't be daydreaming in some CEO meeting or other. Of course not. We'll be good and responsible of what we've got to do. But surely, as we're just driving along and reflecting and so on throughout the day, we're thinking about the Lord and some of the things we've heard and some of the things we've read and some of the things that are on our mind and we're talking to God through all of these. It says in uh, Psalm 110, your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your power. We're not conscripted people. We're willing volunteers. 
and we should be very delighted to be so, to fight in God's army. We want to make sure that we are committed and dedicated to that naturally. There's a good example, uh, and there's many examples, but a good example of Gideon, um, because Gideon's army was 32,000. And the first thing that was said to them, God said, nah, too many, too many in your army, because for 32,000, you probably can conquer the Midianites on your own, you know, and you'll be going, hey, good we are. Uh, and he said, that's not good. I, don't, I, don't, I want to fight your battles. So the first thing in Judges chapter 7, now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him depart and return early. So God put his principles into practice. We're reading in Deuteronomy 20 here, happened with the Midianites. 32,000 there were. How many left? They were given the opportunity. If you're a bit apprehensive about all this, go now. Because we don't want you. You won't be fighting full steam ahead here if you're, if you're going to be half-hearted and faint-hearted and half-baked. How many went home? 22,000 of them. Mind-boggling, really. 22,000, two-thirds roughly of the army of the Lord at that time decided, hello, I don't think I want to do this. Faint-hearted. They didn't get the reward, though. They missed out. Oh, they went home. They can go to their house if they want to. Go and paint a kitchen. They can go in their vineyard and plant some carrots and do what they like. You plant carrots in vineyards, but anyway, blocks of land that they might be sowing some things in. Or they can go home and kiss their wife by all means, but we're talking about the kingdom. By the way, it's all right to kiss your wife. It's all right to grow some carrots. It's all right to paint your kitchen, but we better get it in order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll take care of the rest, the Lord says. I don't know. I've talked too long, even in my introduction here. Let's go to, to um, Second Chronicles. So we only have one talk. So maybe I could give two talks now. Just combine them in one. Second Chronicles, chapter 15. Trouble is, you see, I don't know who's turned off. I don't, when we, we meet at the hall, I can have a look and say, ah, oh, Pastor Chris has fallen asleep, but I won't. Um, but but uh, not, I don't do that today, but uh, uh, I can't see. Maybe we've all fallen asleep out there. Maybe we're all going to get a cup of coffee. I hope not. First Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Asa was the third king of Judah, the southern section of Israel. And he said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it depends on us. He's not going to, as I say, conscript us. He wants us to willingly and happily and joyfully seek him, be in tune with him, be in touch with him. And that's what pleases him. And, of course, we'll be found. Verse 3, now for a long season Israel have been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. They'd really gone astray, unfortunately. But when they in their trouble did turn to the Lord, God of Israel, and sought him, he was found of them. So even then when they're fluctuating and not too good in their approach, God is still faithful, still true to his word, and he was still prepared, amazingly so. Most of us would have given up. But the Lord was still there wanting people to come to him, embrace him. He wants to demonstrate his love, his grace and his mercy, his loving kindness and his goodness towards us. And in those times, in verse 5, there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in. 
but great vexation or turmoil were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. Sounds a little bit familiar today. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Now, God didn't do it himself. Often we get asked the question, now what, is God manipulating everything? Yes, God knows how we're like. If God steps back a bit, all hell will break loose. That's what happens. And so he stepped back a bit because we didn't want him to step forward. We didn't want to embrace him. The Israelite people pushed him aside. And when God's pushed aside, we're on our own. And what happens to the world when we're on our own? Turmoil, strife, destruction. But the message in verse 7, Be ye strong, therefore, and be not, and not, not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Get back to put your hands on the plough again. Get back to occupying. Get back to doing the things you're supposed to be doing in the things of the Lord. Now, that word weak there can be translated soft, relax, idle, slack, cease, slothful, feeble, faint, disheartened, to sink, to let drop, to be discouraged. So the Bible's message here is, if you're going to get it right with the Lord, let's make sure that we don't become soft or relaxed or half-hearted. We can't afford to be weak. We can't afford to be faint-hearted. We can't afford to grow weary in the things of the Lord. Be strong, therefore, and be not let your hands be weak, because then your work, what we commit ourselves to in the Lord, will be rewarded. The Lord will bless us. That is a promise, of course. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols. He tied up a bit of his life and so on. Uh, and in verse 9, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh, which is from the house of Israel, the northern section. So the northern section of Israel combined now a bit and out of Simeon, but they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. Why? Why did they come to Asa? Why did they come to join him with Judah? They saw the Lord, his God, was with him. The testimony was there. The example was there. He was now encouraged. He was now uplifted and inspired. He was now getting on with it. And that, that's contagious, of course. Confidence and enthusiasm is contagious. And so is misery and despair. The Lord is saying, no, don't do that. You be excited about the things of the Lord. You show you're keen and enthusiastic. So, in verse 10, they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Wow! That would have been an interesting day. And they entered into a covenant or an arrangement, a contract, to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel, listen to this, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. Woof, the pressure's on. Put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. What a contract that is. Lord, I'm going to seek you with all my heart, mind, soul and strength. And if I don't, put me to death. Well, not that God was going to do it. They were going to do it. Well, may I suggest that if we're not giving it all, then we're slowly dying anyway. It's not a matter of someone else doing it. We're doing it to ourselves. If we're casual, if we're neglectful, if we're half-baked in our approach to God, if we don't put God first, if we don't see the significance of our experience in the Lord, if we don't understand Jesus Christ is coming back 
and this is all going to disappear anyway. And we'll get mansions, not little houses. So the Lord's got everything in store for us. Everything's available. Do what you can now. Be good citizens now, by all means. But let's keep in mind what it's all about. So they were really serious. They got serious. And verse 14, And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And we use the pianos here in our hall. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. That's the formula. That's the recipe. Seek him with all your desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. Hallelujah. That's the promise of the Lord. That is the recipe for victory in the Lord. Let's go and have a look at a couple of more examples. We've got time. We'll make time. Daniel chapter 3. I can skip through a couple of these fairly quickly because you know them fairly well. Daniel chapter 3 is um, about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And uh, I think people are somewhat familiar with that story uh, and what they were like. But just briefly, though, chapter 3, what happened was these are people of God, these three young men, and, um, and there was a, a, go a golden, uh, sorry, a statue, was an image of gold was, was built. And the idea was they were meant to all bow down to this image. Well, no way God's people are going to bow down to images. And they knew that. So part of the reason was to trap Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anyway, build an image, get them to bow down. If they don't bow down, well, they're disobedient. We can put them to death. And that's, that was what happened. Verse 6, whosoever falleth not down and worships, and worships that won't do it, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So what we got here is not an enemy of an army coming now, but people trying to get us to compromise, trying to get us to drop our principles, trying to get us deviating from the truth of God's word and God's ways. And here were these three young men who were in isolation. They were in a foreign land in Babylon, and they, they probably could have said, well, you know what, no one's going to know particularly. What's, we'll keep ourselves alive. We'll just simply make a token gesture to this, uh, this image, and, and it'll be all right. No one's going to know particularly. No one's going to care uh, what we do. After all, we're in a foreign land here now, and life hasn't been all that easy. God will understand. Well, they didn't do that, of course. They wouldn't do it. Uh, and down at the end of verse 12, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the gold image where they are set up. So the king was told then, well, these people are sort of disobeying you. So we've got to throw them into the fiery furnace. Uh, and so we read in verse 16. Oh, leading up to verse 16, the king said, have a think about this, by the way, guys. Can you reconsider? Because I've got to throw you into the fiery furnace if you, if you don't bow down. So he said, I'll give you some scope to reconsider your position here, to think about it. And they said in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. What it means is we don't need hesitation. We don't need to think about it. We don't need time to consider this. We're, we're not going to cave in. We're not going to change. Nothing's going to be different. The passage of time is not going to make any difference to us. If it be so, in verse 17, these are incredible words. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, which he certainly is. The question was, will it happen or won't it happen? That wasn't going to affect them whatsoever. It wasn't going to be, oh, well, look, I'm not too sure. Maybe it's a 90% chance the Lord will do this. Maybe it's a 10% won't. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I'll just stay home. I won't bother. 
it made no difference to them whatsoever whether they were going to be delivered or not delivered. Of course they knew God could deliver them. Was he going to? It made no difference to their decision. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We're not going to do it. Regardless of the outcome here, I'm not going to change. The choices I make are not going to depend on, on some other result. They are dependent on what's right, what is appropriate, what should be done at the time. And sometimes we've got to make the right decisions, of course, all about that. You know the end result. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, but God delivered them, and they came out unscathed. And it looks like maybe Jesus was in the midst of it. Let's have a look at Daniel chapter 6. Another example here where they're trying to capture uh, uh, Daniel unawares here and get him caught up with the, with the well, compromise again. So this time you read here in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 6, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Now Daniel was doing quite well and he was, he was again a foreigner in Babylon, but the Lord was looking after him even in those circumstances. But they could not find any occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, Daniel was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. What an amazing statement about anybody. Hallelujah. Good on you, Daniel. He was reliable and consistent. Then said they, these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So what they invented then was something to catch him out. At the end of verse 7, it says, a decree was passed that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, says thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. So they made up this decree. They got Darius or Darius to, to sign this particular decree. Uh, he didn't really think it through. So that if anybody prayed, and it really wasn't about anybody, it was about Daniel. But if Daniel was to pray, but we, we, we cloud it over so it doesn't quite get the idea who it was directed towards. If anybody prays to anybody else, any other God, except you, O great King God, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Darius in this case, I think uh, we're dealing with. So uh, they have to be put in a prison with the lions. So what happened? Did Daniel cave in and say, well, again, you know what I might do? I might just go to my closet and I'll shut the door. And I'll stay there three days and pray. No, he didn't shut the window at all. He didn't go into his closet. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, as was his usual custom. So not only was he in the house, he opened the window. And he prayed three times a day to let these people know I'm praying to God. Now, that's how it should be. You know, we were asked a little while back, are we allowed to baptise people in coronavirus? Aren't you meant to be, you know, 1.5 metres away from them? Well, no one on earth is going to stop us baptising people. All the people said, amen. We'll obey all the protocols. We'll be good, solid citizens. But when it comes to God's word, it comes first. And Daniel knew that. The, the law of the land where he was living was you're not allowed to pray to any other God except the king. And Daniel said, no way. God says, I've got to pray to him. 
And we've got to baptize people and we will baptize people and we will pray with people. We will do what is necessary. Yes, we'll abide by all the things that we're supposed to abide by as long as it's not in conflict with the word of God. And so Daniel did what he did. His usual practice was to pray. And how impressive were these young men and Daniel when it came to these sort of things. No weakness here, no softness here, no growing weary here, no caving in here of that sort whatsoever. It says in Galatians 6, and I'll just read it to you, and let us not lose heart or be faint-hearted and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. I'm reading from the Amplified. For in due time and at the appointed time, the appointed season, we shall reap if we, be not, we do not loosen or relax our courage or faint. So in due season, we will reap. The Bible says just keep sowing to the Spirit. Just keep doing the things that the Lord wants us to do. So we have to follow the Bible directions, the Bible commitment, and do what is right. We mustn't be swayed. We mustn't uh, uh, do anything else but stand firm on his principles. In Second Thessalonians, it says, Do not become weary and lose heart in doing right, but continue in well-doing without weakening, it says. Another translator says, Never, ever tire of doing what is right. God's rightness. God's righteousness must come first. There are times we have to say no. We have to. Maybe even to ourselves sometimes we have to say no. That's not the place to be. That's not the thing to be doing. That's not the way I should have reacted. Sometimes we've got to make a stand in a whole range of things. We are confronted with all of this every day. We're confronted with the enemy every day. And the enemy doesn't come us with swords and spears. That would be obvious. Come into the room with a machine gun, well, we know what we're contending with. It's usually far more deceptive than that. So we've got to be alert. I was going to read Hebrews 11. Can I go over time? Why not? Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, in one particular verse, those who know me well enough would know there's one particular verse here that I just particularly love uh, for some reason. Um, Hebrews 11, at the end, if you go down to verse uh, um, 32, there's a list here of things that happened to God's people. There's always things going to happen to God's people. Verse 32 says, And what shall I more say? For the time would not fail me to tell of, would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, we read a bit about that because Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but the Lord looked after him anyway, just as the others were thrown into the fiery furnace, but God looked after them anyway. So whether it's a fiery furnace you're contending with or the roaring lion out there you're contending with, the Lord will deliver us, but don't weaken. Not for the faint-hearted. Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Uh, out of the weaknesses were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. <laughs> oh, dear me. All of that stuff, I mean, most of us are pretty light on for the things that we have to contend with. And that's not minimising what you're going through. But there were a lot of God's people who really had some trouble on their hands. And some of them were, even later on, thrown to the lions. And others were actually put up on a, a stake and burnt to death 
There was all sorts of things. Others were thrown into boiling pots of oil. Um, lots of people have been martyred and stood the test of time quite incredibly. Sometimes uh, we have it too easy, perhaps. A little bit of persecution can actually sharpen the sword a little bit. And that's what's necessary for us. Have a look at all that stuff. And this is the verse I like. It's actually in brackets. Verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. Now, these are not words of men. This is God's inspired word. God said of these people, the world's not worthy of you. You don't, the world doesn't deserve you. Your faithfulness, your dedication, your commitment is far beyond the realm of this world. What an amazing statement that is. It goes on, but we want to go to verse, to chapter 12, because that says, wherefore, verse 1, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of faith, all they've been through, all their faithfulness and loyalty and dedication, all their uh, not never fainting in their circumstances, seeing we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. It's like we've often said, like coming to the MCG, we're finishing our race now. We've run the, the 26 miles of our marathon. It's just about finishing up now. Got one more lap to do of the MCG, in case you don't know what that, Melbourne Cricket Ground. Uh, and, and there's in the audience, 100,000 people have gone before us. All of these people, as it were, there. The, the people that were sawn asunder and, <laughs> and stoned and all these things have, have taken place. They're all up there in the stand. And we're coming in. Wherefore, seeing we've got this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience and the race that is set before us. They're looking in the grandstand, you know, they're in their grave, by the way. Someone asked the question, where are these people, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Well, they're all dead and buried. But the Lord in due course, perhaps the second resurrection will raise them all up. But for our little imagery here, they're in the grandstand of the MCG. Or maybe if you're in Queensland, they can be in some other stadium up there. But they're in, they're in the stadium looking down and cheering us on. But we'll get finish the race. They started it. We're supposed to finish it. And how do we do it? How do we not become faint-hearted here? How can we finish our race? Verse 2, looking under Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was never faint-hearted, finished his course all the way to the very end. For consider him, stop and reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us. In a moment, I hand back to Pastor Chris, we're going to do exactly that. Consider him and his sacrifice. We're going to take of the elements that remind us. But when you wake up in the morning and you speak in tongues, that's a reminder. There's no way known you can receive the Holy Spirit except Jesus Christ died and rose again. It's the only way that we can have the Holy Spirit. So every time you speak in tongues, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ died, rose again, went to his heavenly Father, unleashed the cupboard door that holds the Holy Spirit for salvation purposes, and it's flooding us now. That was the promise. Every time you speak in tongues, that's a reminder. For consider him that endured such contradiction such hostilities, such enemies of the cross, of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and what? Become faint-hearted. Don't do that, he said. That's the message. Consider all that we've talked about and numerous other examples that we could have mentioned here. Don't become faint-hearted. Let's be inspired, involved, committed, 
and dedicated. Let's make sure we set ourselves. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 3, in another translation, if you want to become, keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, if you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, well, we've got to, because the Bible says we've got to make sure we're not faint-hearted. It's not for the faint-hearted. If you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted, if you don't want to be faint-hearted and we can't afford to be faint-hearted and weary, then think about his patience, his perseverance, as sinful men did such terrible things to him. Whatever we're confronted with, let's remember who we are and why we are what we are in Christ Jesus. He went before us. He'd broken the strongholds. He's in us now through the Holy Spirit and we're more than conquerors. All the people said... Amen. 